Rusty Quill presents. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you like Wobegon, you can now support the show on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash woe underscore begone for early episodes, instrumentals, art, music, writing, and more. Thanks to Risky Coffee, Plumule, Your Name, and Cooper Dukes for supporting the show. Warning, this episode contains a description of kidnapping. Listener discretion is advised. Don't you fucking kick me. I'm starting the episode. Don't you want to hear what happens? I mean, I guess you already know a lot of it, but it'll be fun, right? Honestly, I'm a little surprised at how good I am at this whole brutality thing. Before Wobegon, I didn't consider myself a violent person. Not a good person, but not a violent person either. I'm usually pretty conflict avoidant. I had never been in a real fight before this. Maybe some teenage fights with my friends when hormones were running high. I don't even yell at people who cut me in line at the grocery store. A darker side of my personality has gotten an opportunity to shine through recently, though. I'm kind of like Francis McDormand's character in Burn After Reading. A world of violence and intrigue fell right into my lap, and I immediately slotted into it like I was born for it. And also I'm a huge fucking idiot who got played by the people who were already entrenched in that conspiracy because I didn't actually know what was going on. But now I've got a guy bound and gagged here with me as I'm doing a podcast, and he has to sit there and has no choice but to watch me, as you have no doubt heard in the background of this recording. Hey man, I bought this nice mic so the podcast would sound good and you're messing it up. This brutality, again, was beyond my expected capabilities. I'll get into why he's tied up and not dead in a second, but I promise you it is not because my heart grew three sizes this day. I need him alive for now. Dead men tell no tales, but as a result, they also don't tell you what's really going on. Information is an incredibly valuable commodity in this game, at least as valuable as a life. Lives are pretty darn cheap, actually. I'm sure I can sleep better than the game runners, though. Maybe there's a point to all this, but I can't figure out how they profit from any of the first four challenges. It doesn't shift power into their hands or get rid of their rivals or anything like that. It's just sadism. I may have killed a guy, and a pig, and myself, that was an accident, and I helped kill another guy, but at least I've never tormented anyone by bringing the dead back to life and using an almost literal sort of Damocles to manipulate people into spilling even more blood. 
If I'm barbaric, then I don't have the vocabulary for people who designed this game and recruited everyone into playing. All of this technology that goes beyond everyone's understanding, and it's being used to play a dinky little murder game. Maybe once you have all the power in the world, you need stuff like this just to get your heart beating again. Maybe you can help explain? If you finally feel like talking, I mean. This is Wobegone. The story of Wobegon is being told in order. If this is your first time listening, you really need to go back to the first episode and start there. This is one of those big reveal episodes, so you'll just be confused if you don't. Last episode, I hinted ever so subtly that I was going to head to Vancouver and find Matt and kill him to complete Challenge 4 of Wobegon. Though it sometimes felt like Matt's life had been fully restored, I labor under no such misunderstanding. In the most possible outcomes, Matt was a goner. The only way I could ostensibly save him for real was to win the game, and the only way to win the game was to kill Matt. And I don't talk about this much, but the idea that the prize is getting control of the Wobegon technology is just speculation based on the things that the game runners have said. The prize could be a big fuck you at the end of it. That's another reason that Cannonball's idea to build the tech for ourselves was so alluring. That's the only way to be sure that Matt is still alive. I could undo some of this extreme trauma while I'm at it too. But building a parallel technology to rival the Game Runners isn't even playing Wobegon at that point. It's just Wobegon inspired. Wobegon adjacent. That might even be how Wobegon got started. Saying that I was going to fly to Vancouver was actually sort of a silly mistake on my part. I imagine quite a few listeners heard that I was going to fly to Vancouver and wondered if that was even possible. Doesn't Mike Walters live in America? That redacted jumble sensor thing sure does sound like St. Louis. St. Louis. No matter what I did to the voice snippet, damn it, I reversed it and pitched it down, and somehow it still sounded like St. Louis. St. Louis. So then I switched the order of the syllables, and it still sounded like St. Louis. Louis. At which point I just said, fuck it. Some people will figure it out, and it will add a little bit of mystery solving to the podcast. But yeah, as an American, there's no way for me to legally travel to Vancouver right now. If I had played the game smarter, I wouldn't have given Matt's real city in the first episode just in case something like this happened. A more naive time, to be sure. Maybe I'll fix that once I get my hands on the tech. Playing along with the fourth challenge was but a clever ruse, you see. It was just one arm of my plan to manipulate the game and get closer to the truth. I was sure that Cannonball used the podcast to figure out what I was thinking and doing, so I started using it as a way to directly lie to his face. I know that Cannonball takes me for a chump who will just spill every little bit of his guts out for podcast listens, so it was pretty easy for me to plant lies among the truths in the story. Remember the limited hangout stuff we talked about last episode? 
I mean, this is a guy who seems to honestly believe that my name is Mike Walters. Hmm. I never labored under the delusion that his name was actually Cannonball in all caps. I wonder which of us had the better call sign. Turns out that being good at a few things doesn't make you smart, and it sure as hell doesn't make you secure. I don't even think that Cannonball made any of the Wobegon technology. I think one of the other guys just probably taught him how to work the machine and let him do the grunt work. Oh, by the way, Cannonball's a game runner, if you hadn't picked up on that. I figured out, or at least intensely suspected, that Cannonball was involved in the operations of Wobegon sooner than I let on in the podcast. It's important not to just dismiss something out of place by saying, oh, I'm sure it's nothing. It could actually be something out of place. Cannonball got emails from the game runners that I never got, and I justified that by believing the emails only got sent out under certain conditions that I hadn't ever met. How convenient for him. Dropping little hints in our conversation was another thing barely suspicious enough to get my attention. I know now that he was dropping trailheads, giving me clues that encouraged me to dig into whatever aspect of the game he wanted me to latch onto at each junction. He would say, check out Charles Thibodeau, or check out Eliza Schultz, and I would unveil another little piece of the puzzle to progress in my knowledge of the game. It also didn't make total sense that he allegedly took a six-year break from the game and at no point dropped low enough in the rankings to be kicked out. If that is how the game works, then there's no way that someone wouldn't have passed him up. All of these things on their own are easy to shrug off, but the culmination of them suggests that something other than what Cannonball was telling me was happening was actually happening. The Eliza Schultz stuff was just a little bit too sloppy, which is when I decided to get to the bottom of the Cannonball mystery once and for all. I'm not an idiot. Well, I am an idiot, but I know what a metaphor is. I knew that the Eliza Schultz stories were the game runners metaphorically taunting me, even though I pretended to think that they were gibberish in the podcast. The story about Proxima B and the poisonous flower are about the philosophy of time travel and the nature of something beautiful but fatal. It's sort of a Kantian sublime thing. The story of the ghost plays up Eliza Schultz's apparent dementia, but the metaphorical implication, knowing what I know now, is that Cannonball and Eliza Schultz are one and the same. The Lighthouse story is about how only the game runners know how to use the technology. I think it was a warning. You can't kill me, because if you do, then no one will know how to maintain Wobegon, and you won't get access to it either. I think the sailing story is about how powerless we are against the unrelenting forward momentum of time. Or maybe it's just mocking me for being so close to the source but unable to achieve it, like someone rowing through an endless ocean that is shallow enough to stand up in. Once I started having suspicions, I started stalking Cannonball. I started doing this weeks ago, actually. Opsec tip number one, kids. Don't pick a rendezvous location that's close to your house. At least pick somewhere across the city. And don't pick the damn coffee shop where you're a regular and the barista knows your name and will just blab to anyone that comes in asking questions with a photo of you. Christopher Evans? That's an awful name. There's already someone named Chris Evans, Cannonball. And he goes by Topher, too. I guess that's so people don't make jokes about how he has the same name as Captain America. Asinine. Topher Evans. It doesn't roll off the tongue whatsoever. Mike Walters, that's a name. Topher here lives alone in an apartment that would be quite nice if it was decorated and furnished properly. I'm sure that money isn't a problem for him since he can go back in time and buy a winning lottery ticket anytime he wants to. This computer's definitely better than mine. Ooh, Red Dead Redemption 2, nice. Fortuitously, Saying that I was going somewhere impossible to travel, like Vancouver, meant that Cannonball couldn't chase me there, since he couldn't travel there either. 
Though if I had named a city it was possible to travel to, I could have just ransacked this house while he was going after me. This whole situation's better, though. You should be proud, Cannonball. I learned a lot from your game. Doing Challenge 3 twice gave me a lot of practice with stalking someone until I can figure out their routine, inconspicuously get into their doorway and get the job done. It's a lot harder to maim than kill, though. There was quite the struggle. I don't think we made too much noise. The neighbors probably don't know that something's afoot. No blood on the nice carpet. You're welcome. I did have to gag him, though. He would be yelling his head off if I didn't. That isn't to say that I haven't been giving him the hard questions, though. Using the threat of violence to keep him from screaming when I ungag him makes me feel icky, but I feel like we're knee-deep in icky shit at this point. It hasn't been useful as far as getting any juicy, woebegone secrets out of his mouth, but I'm not done trying yet. I'm sure that the higher-ups instructed him, under penalty of severe retribution, not to speak a word in the case of shit hitting the fan. There's no point in torturing him, of course, unless I wanted him to tell me what I wanted to hear instead of the truth. And while I do like hearing things that I want to hear, that doesn't get me any closer to where I'm going. I would like to know how many people are playing the game, how many people are running the game, and where the technology is being kept at. But I guess I'm going to have to find that stuff without any help from Topher. Topher's house, on the other hand, definitely has some materials that are willing to speak with me. I went to the Eliza Schultz blog from his computer, and sure enough, he was already logged in as administrator. <sighs> oh, Cannonball. That's how they caught Dread Pirate Roberts, you know. The guy who ran the Silk Road, not the character from Princess Bride. He was out in public and logged into the back end of the Silk Road, and the FBI just snatched him then and there. Always log out of anything that you don't want people to know is connected to you. Also, password protect your computer. You never know when someone might bash you over the head with a metal rod in your doorway and tie you up to try and figure out what's going on with some time travel game. And encrypt your important files, damn it. They actually sell pre-encrypted USB sticks for just this occasion. Oh, right, maybe I should talk about what the point is of me kidnapping Captain America in his own home. Killing Matt was never legitimately an option. I just couldn't imagine me actually having the stones to go through with it. Losing him was hard enough the first time, and if I didn't do it, he was fucked as well because this asshole beside me wouldn't let me get by with not killing Matt. He'd go back and let Matt die the night that he first died. Now I know how Eliza Schultz felt when she couldn't complete the third challenge. Oh, that must have been so hard for her. The game runner sent out the fourth challenge right when I was almost positive that Cannonball was a game runner, and so he basically made my choice for me. Now my direction is clear and I'm ready for answers. After confirming that Cannonball was Bobcat, the next thing I did was copy a full image of his computer onto a hard drive that I brought with me. I also uploaded it to two cloud storage services. From one of those services, I downloaded the whole image to my phone's expandable memory. I had also set up a dead man switch script that would email out the credentials of both of these cloud storage services to a handful of close friends after one week, unless I entered a password on my computer to stop it. It was a bit of a scattershot approach, but I didn't want to miss something on his computer just because I didn't know what I was looking for. If everything went according to plan, I would have as much time as I needed to go over every bit of data on that computer with a fine-tooth comb. I made sure that Cannonball watched me do this and understood what was happening, so that if he was going to try any funny business, he would know that he needed to be clever about how he did it, lest the contents of his computer spill out all over the internet. 
I wasn't expecting a big glowing box with the words time travel machine for Wobegon game runners only written on it, so I wasn't especially disappointed when I didn't find one. I did tear the place apart looking for anything that might ostensibly be a time travel machine. Or a magic time travel trinket, I don't know. I thought it was scientific and based on computer engineering, but that's because Canon Bobcat over here told me so. It could be magic. I mean, from the outside it seems like magic. If I had to speculate wildly, and I don't but I will, I'd wager that there's one Wobegon supercomputer somewhere, probably not here, that all of the game runners use to manipulate space-time. It might be at a university, or part of a particle collider, or some other science shit that I don't actually understand. It could be in a witch's lair. Spooky. But if it's in Topher's house, then it's either passively disguised as a refrigerator with some shitty beer in it, or it's microscopic and he hid it in the floorboards. The more I learn, the more I think that he isn't the brains of the operation, so if it's in someone's house, it's probably not in his. How do I know that he isn't the only game runner? Because he doesn't log out of Gmail when he's done with it either. <sighs> Come on, dude. At least force me to guess your password, or make me send two-factor authentication and let me get the code off the phone that I took off of you after I bashed you over the head. When it started, I thought that the story of Wobegon would be about the consequences of seeking power, but now I think the moral is to take your information security more seriously, especially if you have something worth protecting. Shutting up didn't do Cannonball any good if the data does all of the talking for him. Maybe the reason for the sign-up page of Wobegon requiring you to have a burner VOIP and VPN is because they're trying to replace Cannonball with someone who has better infosec. Whoops, turns out that the first one was just a personal email. No spicy time travel goodness on there, just some private stuff that isn't any of my business. It looks like there's another linked account that's just random numbers and letters. Yep, here it is. Uh-huh, yeah. Player info spreadsheets, that'll be extremely handy. Documentation, a connected Google Drive, some guy named Ryan that appears to have opinions about various Wobegon's goings-on. From the looks of this, Ryan is a game runner and he's calling the shots, or at least directing them to Captain America. Reading through all this should give me enough info to impersonate Topher and establish a fake rendezvous, but I need to be careful. I need to do it before I upload this episode, obviously. Ryan knows who I am, and when he sees me instead of Topher, he's probably going to freak. Oh. It looks like they meet here every now and then, so it wouldn't be out of place for him to come here, which would give me the proverbial high ground for a surprise attack. <sighs> this has been a lot of fun, but I shouldn't be so cocky. It has been exciting. I've been a braggart in this episode, but this is incredibly far from over. Now would be a horrible time to lose my alertness. I'm not worried about Chris here. Well, I am. I'm worried about future Chris, come back via his own retrocausal pocket to rain hell down on me for doing this. Actually, wouldn't you have already done that? Topher, am I going to kill you? That's the only reason that I can think of that you wouldn't immediately come and get me the second I let you go. I guess it's possible that I strip your access to the tech somehow and you physically can't get your revenge. Maybe Ryan burns you after he learns you've been compromised. And I suppose there's also a chance that for some reason you aren't interested in stopping this from happening? I'll have to brainstorm on that, because if that's the answer then there's some multidimensional chess being done here that is not fully on my radar. You couldn't have seen this coming. Not because I pulled off the perfect crime, but because surely you would have dispatched me at a distance before I could whack you with an iron bar. 
It looks like the bulk of communications between Topher and Ryan are titled something like changelog and then a date. These emails contain a list of players and a description of what retrocausal action needs to be taken for those players' sake in the game. So Topher might not even know where the Wobegon machine is. He just sends his boss a list of what needs to be changed, and he does it for him. It looks like there's also an email thread just for tracking Wobegon's digital footprint, which of course means that they're talking about my podcast. Let's see. I bought the Eliza Schultz stuff and was satisfactorily distracted from WBG operations. Episode 7's name is too long. Hey, screw you, why are you giving me notes on my show? Ah, here's a good one. MW is making travel arrangements for Vancouver this week to revoke his prize. Prepare the challenge package in case of a completed challenge. You guys actually thought I was going to do it. I wonder what a challenge package is. I think this email thread is where I'll weasel my way in. Okay, let me channel this tacky, overly formal way of reporting to the boss man. Subject. MW conspicuous travel plans. And then... Ryan. Second-guessing the challenge operation of MW vis-a-vis Vancouver. Travel restrictions severely impede Americans attempting to enter Canada. Would it be prudent to allow MW another pathway to completing the challenge? Would like to meet in person to discuss, here if possible. C. This was mostly copy-pasted bits from other emails to make sure that everything that I said would sound like something that Cannonball would actually say. I think that tipping Ryan off would likely result in my instant death. More instant than instant, so instant that it actually happened weeks ago. I think I did a good impersonation. It took about 45 minutes to get a response. It was concise. Your place, 7 o'clock tonight, maintain silence, R. Well, Topher, I see where you get your style from. Bobcat. More like copycat. This gives me about two hours to prepare. Thank God he didn't say, like, let's meet next Monday or something. The longer this goes on, the more I have to consider the possibility of feeding and caring for a hostage, who I'm gagging because he will yell loud enough to get the cops called if I don't. I also don't want to deal with the whole bathroom thing. Adrenaline has been running really high these past few hours, so I think we're both stopped up on that front. But as time goes on, the adrenaline will wear off, and the body will relax, and... You know... Poopies. It'll be like babysitting an infant that weighs more than you, and has access to time travel technology. Now there's nothing left to do but wait. This feels worse than either time I was waiting for the cops to show up during the third challenge. Two hours was just long enough to steep in my silence and wonder whether or not I had just made a fatally large mistake out of desperation. No, because I don't think that it's prudent to doubt Cannonball's description of the game rules. I think the whole point of him telling the rules to me was to outline the game's structure and not to deceive me. The rules as they were explained to me created a paradox in which it was impossible for me to make it out of the game alive. Because if Anne didn't kill me to stay in the game, I would eventually kill myself by winning the game and disqualifying Anne. I wonder if Anne's sitting outside my apartment right now with a gun, waiting for me to come out. Everything that I've done today and the true nature of the game unbeknownst to her. But the game would end badly for me no matter what I did. If not now, then not too far into the future. That's a bad way to run a game. Best case scenario, the player put in the no-win scenario gets up and walks away. Worst case scenario, they flip the board over on their way out. The rules of a game are not the laws of the universe, so you need the player's consent to get them to obey them. A smarter person would have withdrawn their consent from Wobegon a long time ago. 
But then a smarter person wouldn't be two hours away from getting access to the power of space-time manipulation. Maybe I shouldn't assault Ryan when he gets here? I have a lot of blackmail material. Maybe it's best if I just get him to spill the beans by using everything I've acquired here. Unlike Cannonball, I need him to talk. Do I just wing it based on his vibe when he gets here? That seems ill-advised. I'll just lay it out nice and clearly. I don't want to hurt you, but nobody is leaving Topher Evans' apartment until I get some serious answers with evidence to back them up, access to the technology that makes Wobegon function, and foolproof evidence that I will be able to walk around alive without interference from anyone involved in running the game. Is that really so much to ask? This has been Wobegon. Next time, things are about to get interesting or Mike Walters is about to become a corpse. I don't really see a third option. Thanks for playing. too much fun with this. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.